Why, hello and welcome. Welcome to the Peer Pressure Podcast. I am Diane, sometimes known as Diane Kamikaze, and I am your host. The reason why I do this podcast is because I like to say I am a champion of heavy music. I've always found my favorite songs since I was a young kid had riffs, hooks, were either metal, hardcore, hard rock, or punk, or something fairly aggressive in attitude and sound. And I am all about appreciating the people that keep that world going, whether they're musicians, webmasters, other podcasters, record label and festival owners. It's important to me to recognize what these people do in that realm of music. So... I am here to bring them to you in a different context, more than a Wikipedia entry or a press release, a little more personal and a lot more fun. I'm a rocker for life, and I hope these episodes do make a difference. Send me feedback at diane at wfmu.org. And my Facebook page is Diane Kamikaze Farris, rocker for life. Like my page there, and I will keep everybody updated on podcast episodes in that space. Thanks so much for listening and stay tuned. And my guest today is Creston Spires of Harvey Milk. This is originally recorded in September of 2017 and I will post the link to the original show because his guest DJ set was all over the place and really wonderful from Coltrane to Beethoven to Stravinsky to Kiss to Freddie King and uh, we talk about the Patreon site he is a member of Patreon and very interesting the ins and outs of it and talks about what he'd like to do in terms of conducting an orchestra. His musical background is phenomenal, as is Harvey Milk as a band on their own. So please stay tuned. I have a special guest today. Creston, are you there? Yes, I am. Thank you very much for having me on. Oh, thank you for coming on the air. It is Kristen Spires. And so I just played two songs that uh, are from the this Patreon site. Um, and um, would you like to talk a little bit about the the uh, the piece Dad and the piece Hook? And uh, is, is Dad a solo piece? Yeah, that's uh, just me. Um, all of the orchestra sounds are on a keyboard program, and the uh, other instruments, the rock and roll instruments, are live mics. Um, that that song is based on a actual melody that my dad used to whistle a lot while he worked. Oh, there is a whistle sort of in there. Drilled into my subconscious, <laughs> and uh, I always wanted to write a piece of music about it, so I did. The uh, the piece hook. I kind of wrote that in the studio. Once again, that's me. Um, and I, I just kind of played a drum track and I made up music to go along with it. I, I was trying to keep it very simple and catchy. And, um, you know, it's a real roll of the dice and uh, I think that song came out really well. Oh, so that's a solo piece too? Yes, ma'am. Oh, okay. 
All right. I, uh, I, I mistakenly thought that was with, with Steven. So both of these tracks are from Patreon which you're active through Patreon. Can I, do you mind if I read what it says on like your homepage there? And it, it's, I guess for me, it's pretty new. You're the first person that I know who's really on here. Although I did hear an interview with the person who created Patreon. It says, uh, how are you able to offer such prolific orchestral output, the heaviest of heavy rock and chunks of insane guitar virtuosity, all at the low price of only $3 a month? And then it says, Creston looked at me as if surprised and he said, what? That can't be right. Who the hell told you that? Can you explain how you, where you've been musically and then what had you step into this, I guess, landing spot? Well, that was just me trying to be funny, obviously. <laughs> uh, but, it uh, is funny. Where I've been, uh, really, has been um, teaching. Uh, I had a teaching career that uh, just came to an end last year. I retired a little early. And... Um, since I retired, um, I, I wanted to do music again, and I've always wanted to sort of record on my own. So I decided to go ahead and make, had, go ahead and make the investment of the Logic Pro X and the little red box interface and a MIDI keyboard and a drum set, all, everything I would need to flesh out my own rock songs. And um, I, I just came across Patreon, really a friend of mine, um, I described to him what I wanted to do. I wanted a subscription service where people would like pay automatically out of their credit card a very small amount every month, and it would be up to me to provide music. And um, he said, well, what I was describing was Patreon. He told me to go look it up, and indeed, it was just what I wanted. Uh, it, it, it allowed people to download uh, music and allowed me to set something to public so you don't have to pay to hear it something to patrons only, so you do. And uh, so far, it's been wildly successful beyond my dreams. Um, but we're already um, making more money from this website than I think Harvey Milk ever made from any record labels. Wow. And um, Speedy came along a few months ago. Uh, he moved back from Mexico, and uh, he's living with my wife and I now. And uh, it's just, he came with a real wealth of uh, already-in-the-can uh, tunes and a whole bunch of tunes to work up as Harvey Milk tunes. So when he came, that's when it became Harvey Milk again, I think, officially. So, uh, But Patreon is more than just Harvey Milk. It's also orchestral compositions and pop tunes and really just any music that we're making at the time. And, and uh, what is your background because Harvey Milk's music in general what I've heard of course from the past is not really genre specific but you have mentioned orchestral and it and it lists here also what's your background that you actually can write in that way are you um are you trained did you go to school for music I did I went to Peabody Conservatory uh for conducting and percussion and um what I wanted more than anything and still do <laughs> is to conduct. Um, and I've always been interested in writing for orchestra, but I've always been very intimidated by that blank piece of score. So uh, the, the whole um, Logic Pro X or Garage Band thing is perfect because it allows me to just take passes and record until I get something I like. 
or to, you know, just come up with one idea, which always kind of leads to other ideas. It also gives us the opportunity to take some of Stevie's tunes that he brought with him and work them up in a, in a full acoustic rock and roll band style. We're doing that right now. It's, it turns out it's turning out great. And uh, I've never been a person who, I guess, was a very high-fidelity type person. Uh, some of my favorite records were, like, recorded on a tin can, so I'm not, mm. too, I'm not too concerned about the... As long as we can record it without, you know, distorting it and make it sound good, you know, then um, we're going to put that out, and that'll be our product. People can download it. Some people are disappointed that we don't have a physical product, and I guess I am too, but we're um, in the planning stages and the talking stages of having a LP put out once a year, simply as a kind of a Christmas gift to our patrons, like a best of the year on a final LP. Oh, wow. To our patrons as a gift. That's cool. Yeah, you were kind of, um, I guess the way the timeline looks, and you can tell me if it's true or not, um, it seems as if the time when Harvey Milk sort of stopped playing was also at the same time that Hydra had went under. Did those sort of, did they actually coincide or was there meaning to that or, or was it, is it just my... I actually didn't know that Hydra had went under until um, this whole thing happened and I got on Facebook and I started emailing with Andrew again. I, I don't, I didn't, we never really kept, I never really kept in touch with those guys and they were, as far as I know, um, always uh, upstanding with us. Um, they didn't make any money from our music, of course. Um, but um, and I'll hold that against them, and I hope that one day they get to make some money from it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was just wondering, because it seemed like maybe... So when, when Harvey Milk stopped playing and stopped playing live, was... I just totally lost my train of thought. Um, okay, I do that all the time. <laughs> I'll get up. I routinely get up from my chair, walk across the... I can't make one trip to one side of the house make three trips. I do one thing on each trip. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're, you probably, I'm sure that your brain works on a whole lot of different levels. Anybody that I know who's written music, and now you say that, now I have just found out that you had this dream and went to school for conducting. I mean, just the pieces, you have to be able to think at like a level where you put things together in such a way that's, that it really blows my mind. Um, well, I, I appreciate that, and I've always really loved um, orchestral music. I love playing in orchestra. I did. I have gotten to conduct a full orchestra on more than one occasion. It was a, just the greatest experience in my life. I hope to do so again. Um, we are in the planning stages also um, of putting together a, a, a tour next summer and hopefully launching that tour in, with a couple of nights or a single night in New York, maybe in an off-Broadway place with an orchestra where they can actually play the pieces I've written, which are, were all designed to be played by an orchestra. Wow. And I could have a baton in my hand. It would just be a thrill of my life. Wow. That's, so, so you have then actually conducted. What kind of preparation is that? I mean, I, I, I can't For conducting? Even, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, you have to practice the patterns of uh, the beats until they're second nature, like tying your shoes. And you have to know every note 
in the piece of music you're playing and know how you want to play it. And really, other than that, it's just a matter of can you communicate that through motion. And uh, I would love to try. Mm. So you, so when you say um, your, you just said something about how you you do like your style or your way of doing. Can you tell different conductors' style like as they're leading an orchestra, like doing the same piece? Well, there's sense? definitely a difference. I don't think I personally could tell so very well. I mean, I definitely have some of my favorite performances of certain pieces, like a, you know, a certain version of the planets that Bernstein conducts. He takes parts of it a lot slower than other people do, and I like that. And you know, but as far as like listening to an orchestra and saying, "Oh, that's Bruno Walter," no, I could never do that. Oh, okay, okay, I wasn't, I, I wasn't sure. So, so. And as a musician, so um, you were trained in percussion, you said? Yes, ma'am, classically. So what else do you play? I play uh, drums, um, guitar, bass, keyboard. I play most of the woodwinds and some of the brasses. Wow. I guess I should have asked you what you don't play. I definitely don't play double reeds. (laughs) (laughs) So then um, if you're a member of an orchestra and you're sitting there, what do you expect from the conductor? Well, as a percussionist, you expect the conductor to look you in the eye and give you a good cue for when your entrance is. Mm-hmm. Many times a percussionist, especially if you're playing an older piece, will have to count out literally hundreds of measures of rest. Wow. Uh, waiting for their opportunity to play. Yes. And I've played with some conductors, very famous, not very famous, but well-respected conductors who would just simply let, you know, I don't know, you want to be, you want a nice, clear cue from your conductors, and you want them to know uh, what they want. Interesting. Very, very, very cool. So, um... If we can go back to the the Patreon thing, so on your page, and I put a link up um, on the playlist for those of you who are following along at home, and uh, please check the playlist if you're not on the computer. I I put Creston's link to the uh, the Patreon page, and it says it's a $3 membership tier, and then I see that there's a $5 membership tier. How does that um, work? What's the distinction? $5 $5 is everything that Stevie and I do together. Uh, $3 is everything that either one of us do alone. Ah. Uh, and um, that's it. I mean, $5 is all-inclusive. Mm-hmm. You just If you just want to join for $3, and you'll get all of our solo stuff, but you probably won't get the stuff we collaborate on. Mm-hmm. Which, at this point, are you calling it Harvey Milk again? I'm sorry? <laughs> at this point, are you are you calling your collaboration Harvey Milk again? Yes. Awesome. Awesome. That's amazing. And um, is Patreon built in a way that um, that has like checks and balances? Like if you say, you know, to to sort of to be sure that artists make good on their promises, because, you know, the Kickstarter model, which a lot of people are familiar with, 
has sort of the same thing, and they have levels. And I, I've seen Kickstarters that have not fulfilled their promises, and they're a little bit more like, you know, single goal. This is more, and it's great, because I see it's like, oh, you get supported. You are supported as an artist. And even if you have, you know, 100 people, you're getting $300 a month. You're it's really amazing. You know, it's, it's been more successful than we had hoped at this stage. And uh, I would think that, you know, it's just the supply and demand. I mean, if you're shilling out $5 a month and you're not happy with the product, then next time that bill comes, you're going to say, hey, get on the phone, let's cancel this. You know, as long as we're providing a steady flow of quality content, then hopefully people won't cancel it. It'll just be one of those things that no one ever cancels, like Netflix, you know. <laughs> and uh, that's what we would hope. But that's up to us. We have to provide the quantity and the quality of content to make people keep paying that money every month. Right. Yeah. I. You know. I read in it. I, actually, I. I listened to an interview with the the fellow who developed Patreon, and he was talking really about what it's what it has been like. And I don't know if he's a musician. He may be more of a an artist in a different way. Um, but how, especially though, musicians have lost out with this whole you know downloading and and there's a whole generation of people that expect music to be free and he said you know that that we're we are slowly shifting this and that patreon really can make it so that a musician does get paid and it's perfect really because if i have a subscription to everything that you do i mean if i'm a fan it's just like this is this is perfect i get it does now is it is it emailed to people, or is it just that you can access the site whenever you want to? I believe the site is kind of like Facebook and other social media sites where you set up an account mm-hmm. with, a, with a username and password, and you set up a, your PayPal uh, to connect to it, mm-hmm. and then just subscribe. And um, I think it's ideal, really. It kind of reminds, brings back to my mind, uh, like... The old days, you know, and if you needed a blacksmith, you go down to the blacksmith and you pay him money and he gave you a service. So that's what we're trying to do is like allow people to pay us directly for a service. Yes. The service yes. is really you know, no different. It's a craft like any other craft. And uh, if we do a good job, then people will come back and pay more of it. Have your um, personal habits in terms of creating music, have they changed because of this? Because you're aware that you should be, you know, that that you've promised to output something every month. Like, in general, in the past, did you output so much that that doesn't change really your habits? Or did you have to kind of be like, oh, it's the end of the month and I got to, you know, put something out there? Or That hasn't happened yet. I mean, I'm sure it will. Um, my my musical habits have definitely changed, uh, not so much because I've entered into this agreement with my patrons as it is just uh, having all of this equipment to do things with now. I've never had that until recently. So mm-hmm. just I'm still go- in a honeymoon phase of just loving doing it. You know, I'm sure it'll get to the point where one month I'll just have to, you know, play feedback solo for half an hour and throw that up on the 31st and just <laughs> pray that everyone forgives me. <laughs> that's, that's awesome <laughs> and, and they will they're your patrons i mean it's well yeah. i'll have a chance to make up for it the next month at least yes yes that's um yeah it's 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 
it's really cool. It's very, very unique. And um, it may be something that has solved, you know, an issue that a lot of musicians feel that they've had. Um, I know that I never heard of it before. I got involved with it. And everyone I tell about it has also never heard of it. And uh, almost all of the, well, I actually can say almost all of the pledges I've gotten come from people who don't pledge to any other Patreon uh, creators. Yeah. So hopefully um, it'll catch on, you know, because already we're scheduled to make close to $9,000 this year, uh, which is, I can't tell you how much more that is than we've ever got from any record label ever. Right. So, you know, it's really exciting for me and Stevie. It's a way um, for us to make ends meet and also do what we love to do. It's real. It's it's wonderful. I mean, it's you know, and it. I mean, five dollars a month is nothing to well, to somebody it's a lot who cares. Well, from one creator, you know. But, yes. You know, I think Harvey Milk is in a unique position, perhaps, in that people who like us tend to really like us and tend to be almost, you know, on the completest side. Like they're all they're, If there's a record out, they're gonna go and get it, and hopefully uh, we can just make sure that all of our People who like the band hear about and find out about the Patreon page because I think that our fans are so. That's the weirdest thing I ever said. Our fans, but people <laughs> who like our band are are loyal and uh, they would definitely support us if they they know about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's um, it. It seems to me to be a really good model, and I'm very excited that you're you know, taking part in it. And it's, yeah, it, it makes a whole lot of sense. And I'm very happy that you're making music and uh, especially because you've got all this it's new been stuff. A, kind of a new lease on life for me. It's totally changed my attitude. I've been much happier and um, it's been great. And I really appreciate the opportunity to come on and plug the Patreon page on your show. I want to say thank you again. Oh God. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's, um, it really, it, it it makes so much sense. It's it's uh, very cool, and it's great to hear that you said that you're happier now and your attitude has changed. Were you where were you um, feeling about music during your sort of in between Harvey Milk periods? Well, during that period, I was a teacher, <laughs> and if you want to know how a teacher feels, then just go ask a teacher. I mean, it's a hard, hard job. Yeah. And I did it for 20 years. And uh, until now, uh, it's really been Harvey Milk is a summertime thing or a spring break thing or whenever I wasn't on the job. Hmm. Since I'm retired, um, I have a lot of free time. And um, fortunately, Stevie's here to help me, and we've been using that free time to make music. Hmm. Now, is, is he... Um based in more of a rock world, whereas you have you have a lot of classical and, and uh, you're trained, would we... Ex- oh, yeah, you couldn't have said it better. I mean, Steve is, has an encyclopedic knowledge of all music, but especially heavy uh, metal and rock music. I mean, yes, <laughs> he has got both feet planted right in the middle of Judas Priest, and uh, <laughs> it's just awesome. I mean, he, He's uh, he's the reason that uh, Harvey Milk is sometimes called a heavy metal band. Mm. 
how did you guys meet? Um, I had moved to Athens, Georgia from Philadelphia back in 91, I believe it was. It was just after the first Gulf War. And I was putting up flyers for musicians. I knew that Athens was a music town. And I put up a flyer in a record store that Stevie worked at. And um, he actually came he, he came right out and said, hey, did you put up this flyer? I guess because I had put Kiss as my only influence. And I guess this was before liking Kiss was too cool again. And uh, so we, we kind of bonded immediately on the fact that we were huge Kiss fans. And um, so we started hanging out and playing music together. And Stevie uh, really... Uh, changed my life as far as music goes. I mean, he turned me on to and played me so many um, incredible bands that I'd never even heard of or listened to before and uh, changed the way I thought about writing music. Um, I thought that perhaps it would be possible to write music for a band that I would have only considered writing for an orchestra before. And uh, so... It's really the combination of my um, musical training and Stevie's uh, musical tastes and skills that have shaped the sound of Harvey Milk, I think. So you said the flyer said Kiss on it. Was it you wanted to start a band flyer? Yes. Oh. We have a question from a listener who says, um, could you please speak to how your classical influences shaped your heavier compositions? I think um, in, the, in writing for Harvey Milk, I tended to write in a, a major key a lot, which um, not intentionally, but sort of had the effect of um, making it stand out because uh, not a lot of heavy bands uh, play in major keys. They tend to play in minor bluesy rock keys. Mm. Also, I, I tended to write for each instrument, and um, we tended a lot of times to present melodies in unison rather than just sort of the drums playing a beat, you know, the guitars playing over it. I think that Harvey Milk was orchestrated oh. um, in a way. Yeah. Uh, much like a, a larger orchestra would be. And uh, I always wrote <clears throat> sort of from that point of view, like um, how to present each piece of material in a strong way, you know. And... Um, longer pieces. Like I said, when Stevie first played me the Melvins, um, the first time I'd ever heard them absolutely changed the way I thought about writing rock and roll music. Um, not just because they played low and slow, which I thought was really cool. When I first heard them, I thought, okay, these guys are Kiss fans, and they really dig the end of Black Diamond, because this sounds like the end of Black Diamond, and I just immediately connected to that sound. But um, also because they played longer uh, pieces of music, and um, I thought, wow, you know, you can play a nine-minute piece of music and have it, you know, move slowly, have the notes be long in a rock band. That was really cool, I thought. Mm. So I kind of, you know, we, we already built the can, I would say, as a band that wanted to be the Melvins. So when you have, from time to time, brought in a uh, second guitar for live. Do you treat that as another section of the orchestra, or were were was that to reinforce the guitar sound, or just a whole nother section? When Joe joined us for a tour in a record, 
on guitar, Joe Preston I'm speaking of, from the Thrones, High on Fire, and the Melvins. He um, he really played the role of a second rhythm guitar player, much like uh, any in any rock band. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would kind of just reinforce what I was playing and add that other layer of sound. I, I didn't rewrite anything um, to, to take into account another voice had joined the band. We just kind of thickened up our sound. It sounded great, I thought. Oh yeah, it did. And and uh, and thank you. You guys played the FMU South by Southwest showcase during that period of time. And oh, that's that, right. Yeah, that was that was wonderful. I got to engineer that for uh, for our recordings here. Is, uh, My daughter lives in Austin now, so I'll be spending a lot of time there. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah. Austin's a nice nice uh, music town. It is. Yeah. Yeah. A question from a listener. How did the band initially arrive at choosing the band name Harvey Milk? Well, we were trying to think of a name. Everyone, me and Paul and Stevie, were all coming up with ideas. And we got it down to a three, a list of three names. Uh, Truck, Rip Torn, or Harvey Milk. We chose Harvey Milk because two things mainly. Number one, it was a person's real name. And number two, it was just really interesting sounding. But another reason, uh, which is the reason I suggested the name Harvey Milk in the first place, was because of who he was. I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with the movie The Times of Harvey Milk. It was a documentary made uh, a long time ago. When I was at Peabody, I actually saw this documentary on broadcast television, not knowing who Harvey Milk was. Um, unfortunately, I missed the first five minutes or so of the documentary. And if you, if you see the documentary, you'll see that uh, the story starts out with Harvey Milk's death and then flashes back to tell the story of his life. Mm. I didn't see the beginning, so I just saw the story of his life, which led up again to his death at the end, which at the time, I guess I was ignorant um, of history, but at the time I did not know his story. It really just the story of his life, growing up, being gay, becoming a politician, winning over people of all uh, stripes mm-hmm. and then being gunned down in the way he was, which is so shocking and uh, to me you know, that I uh, never forgot about Harvey Milk ever since that day. Mm. So we were suggesting names for the band. I thought, hey, it'd be cool. Harvey Milk's a cool-sounding name, uh, plus it has the added bonus of actually being this fellow's name who's as far as I'm concerned, should be right up there with Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. as the, some of the giant, uh, you know, figures of peace and wisdom of our time. Yeah, that's noble and very, very true. Very cool. But when we chose Harvey Milk, of course, everyone assumed, I guess, that we were making fun of him and somehow, um, which I never really understood, that that was never even a slight part of it at all. And I think, though, a lot of people didn't know that the name Harvey Milk was a real human being, because Harvey is kind of one of those, like, you're not going to name your kid Harvey unless you're naming him after somebody. I mean, you know, apologies to anybody who's named Harvey, but it's not, I would guess it's not on the list of, like, most popular names. And the last name... It's a funny-sounding name. I grew up being called Larry. My middle name is Lawrence, and I'm a junior, so my father was Crescent, so Mm -hmm. my parents called me Larry, and I always hated that name. I couldn't wait to move away so I could introduce people myself to people as Creston, you know, because Larry's just a 
stupid next door neighbor in every horrible sitcom, and Harvey's the same. You know, uh, it's just yes. a funny sounding sounding name. You think of someone named Harvey, he's got to be funny looking, and yeah. it turns out Harvey Milk was funny looking. So right, uh, that was good. right, yeah. And the and the last name Milk is is unusual. I've never heard it before. So I sounds like a made up name. Yeah, yeah. That's I think a lot of people probably thought that before it was necessarily making fun of. You know, I, I, and, and this is funny, but it's it brings his name back. You know, people will will actually maybe investigate and go, oh, my God, or they'll put in Harvey Milk and something else will come up on Google. We'll be like, oh, my God, this is a real person. And then if you're a fan of the band or even knowing that a band has named themselves that would then give you the the opportunity and and the choice to to maybe take a second look and go, well wait who was this person that this band named themselves after you know i would think that it must have happened somebody out there must have learned about him a lot just of because they heard of this a, band a lot of people a lot of people i'm sure so that's it's really really cool that you chose that name for that reason it's also really uh cool that he had had a kind of a resurgence over the past 10 years and his reputation and his importance in our history uh, is well-deserved, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, thank you for that. And um, it, another listener wants to know, what instrument um, do you play in the orchestral setting? I know you had spoken a little bit before about being, uh, about what it's like to be the percussionist. Have you played anything aside from percussion in, in orchestral no, uh, but being in the percussion section means that you play many different instruments. I've played timpani, everything from timpani to triangle, um, and everything in between. Um, and often, especially playing very modern pieces, the percussion section is the most active section of the orchestra. So mm. when I describe counting out rests for Beethoven or whatever, um, if you play Stravinsky, you're just going to be whacking away the whole time. So it's pretty <laughs> exciting. Um, and and so if you're playing all different instruments, does each instrument, does like triangle and timpani, like do they have their own music? Or Oh, yes, uh, and their own technique. And my God, you wouldn't believe how difficult it is to play the triangle. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's not as easy. You're not just whacking at it. You know what I mean? You mm-hmm. have to hold it and hit it in a certain place and at a certain angle and there's all different kinds of techniques for every percussion instrument. And is there and not only that, but disagreements about which techniques are the best. Oh, of course, um, of course. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have lasted in the orchestra world, I don't think, mm. as a percussionist. But then, so uh, is there writing music, like charting, actual charts for triangle? Like, I, I'm a drummer and I know what, what yeah. drumming signatures look, yeah. look like. What it looks like is a one big bar with 327 above it and then one whole note and then another big bar with 229 and that's what your music looks like if you're playing triangle. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, um, so if you're in, if you're standing there and you're in an orchestra and, you, and yeah. you're the percussion person and you've got, tell me what you would have in front of you and how many pieces of music, like how many sheets well, of music. depending on the piece of music, whether you, you're probably playing one instrument if it's an old piece and more than one instrument if it's a newer piece. Mm-hmm. You've got your music stand and your instrument. You want to make your music stand nice uh, so that you can see it and the conductor at the same time. Mm-hmm. And um, that's it. You, uh, If you're um, smart, you don't count out all those measures of rest. You find a cue from another instrument in the orchestra to let you know that your part is approaching. 
Hmm. And, uh, you know, it's so, pretty exciting because you got one chance to get it. And if you miss it, you can't stop everybody and say, whoa, whoa, back up. I missed my part. Oh, yeah. Missed it. And I'm sure every, well, people know or they don't know. I guess they would, you know. And somebody could be listening for you as their cue for their next thing, too. So that really could have a domino effect. But um, yes. is there one piece of music for, like, so if you're, if there's a lot of, um, and I know I'm going deep into this, but it's just really interesting to me. If, if, if there's a lot of pieces, like actual physical pieces in the percussion section, if you've got, I don't even know, you know, but, but if you've got a, whatever, a cowbell and a gong and a triangle or, or, or whatnot, is that all written on one piece of music or is there a piece of music for each of those? Well, it depends on whether the composer... Um, thought about it you know the uh, usually it's written it's condensed so that two or three parts will be put on one piece of paper one player will be expected to play them all Mm -hmm. or more than one player will be expected to look onto that sheet of paper okay so uh, i have played uh, pieces not orchestra pieces but smaller chamber uh, pieces in which I was literally surrounded by instruments from Tiffany to Temple Blocks to cowbells and all kinds of chimes and vibraphones. And that piece of music uh, looked like a Jackson Pollock painting. But, uh, you know, it just really depends. Um, For percussionists, the music tends to be really simple and boring um, until you get to the 20th century composers. Nice. I can hear your excitement about talking about it. That's why I kind of went into because you you know so much, and I know that you had said that you, that that's really a a piece of you that you adore still is the orchestral um, involvement. I did want to ask you um, because you are so multi instrumental, and because of your your education and and your your training. Does a typical rock band setup actually work for you, or are there things that you're sort of you tend to want to throw in that that don't work or that are not um, conventional that you need? Oh, I, I know. I definitely like the three-piece rock band setup. That's all Harvey Milk ever did. And we added uh, two people to the band so far: um, keyboard player uh, and a guitarist who joined us for a tour. And um, we um, rock bands definitely what we are. Um, of course, um, I mentioned earlier that we we're in the planning stages, hopefully putting together a show with an orchestra in the late spring, leading into a summer tour. We're also uh, talking a lot with Thor Harris, who's a drummer who played with the Swans and then, uh, other people. Nice. And um, he's our guy. We we think. Um, um, He's into it. Um, we know he can play our stuff. We like the way he plays. And I know that he's got musical intelligence. And he's also got experience playing other kinds of percussion. Um, so really, um, the whole idea of playing a, a, a show with an orchestra and a rock band at the same time um, is our goal. Um, and with Thor would be kind of a bridge between the orchestra and the rock band instrumentally. But Stevie and I would just be playing our electric guitars, of course. And um, it would be exciting for me because we would get to present music um, that is not meant for rock band, as well as music that is only meant for rock band. 
as well as music that a combination of the two, like the piece you played, played earlier, Dad. Mm-hmm. So, so how does one find an orchestra to play with? I don't know the answer to that question. I wish I did. If anyone listening has an orchestra <laughs> um, or knows of an independent orchestra that would work for, you know, um, standard union wage, which I would uh, try very hard to make sure that they were paid. Um, we're looking. Um, the pieces I have are not difficult. I'd say they're probably grade three, if you're familiar with that system. Um I would like to rehearse them, although I don't really expect to be able to conduct them during their performance, although I would love to do that as well. Mm-hmm. But I would want to practice them up. And um, it wouldn't be hard. I think a, an orchestra um, could do it in a week um, if we could practice every day for about um, three hours, you know, hour and a half, take a break, another hour and a half, um, and we'd be ready for a show. Well, you I may- think it'd be exciting. You make it sound very doable. What um, what size orchestra would be ideal? Um, you know, like uh, two people per string, um, one each per wind, except for French horns and uh, trumpets, and um, you know, four or five percussionists. That would be a dream come true. Are you excluding French horns and trumpets, or you're saying you want more of them? You would need at least three French horns and at least two trumpets, wow. no matter what. Wow. All right. So, folks, there's a, there's a little call out there. and uh, <laughs> very, very Absolutely. Anyone out there who plays in an independent orchestra um, that would be interested in performing with a rock band in New York uh, late spring oh, so this is definitely contact um, me. So you've targeted New York. Well, we have connections in New York. We have friends in New York. We have people who would work for us in New York. Um, So that's probably where we would do it. Nice. Nice. So you said that this would tie in because this question, so I'm going to ask you this question. You said it ties in with talking about an orchestra. Um, Someone wants to know about kitchen appliances mixed into the quieter parts of Courtesy and Goodwill. There is a vacuum cleaner. and courtesy and goodwill towards the end of the first song. Um, it was a special effect I had actually used in an orchestra before. I played vacuum cleaner in an orchestra, played hair dryer in an orchestra, played typewriter in an orchestra, played uh, sledgehammer in an orchestra, played chains. Uh, you'd be amazed what composers will think of uh, to be a percussion instrument. I once took a sledgehammer and beat a wooden box that had a microphone inside of it. That was the instrument I played. Wow. So, um, yeah, I wanted the vacuum cleaner. And Andy, the fellow who was recording the record, had a really old one that was really rattly, and it just sounded great. <laughs> I love that. Oh, my God. And, and uh, so people write music for vacuum cleaner. Yes. In in the classical realm, that's where it kind of throws me. I mean, I, you know, I've heard, I listen to tons and tons of noise, but that's... Um, that's well, the classical is a broad, is used as a broad term. Classical really refers to orchestral music written before the 1800s. And then the Romantic movement came along, and then after that um, is when all the modern music came. 
of course, the vacuum cleaner, those pieces were probably written after 1950. I would guess, yes. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Oh. Oh, you know, you had mentioned um, living in Philly and living in, I guess, Baltimore is where you went to school? Yes. Where else have you lived? And you're, because um, Harvey Milk is sort of, I know Harvey Milk as being like from Savannah, right? From Athens, oh, from actually. Athens, Commerce, right. really. Okay, right. Hmm. Uh, well, I, I grew up in Louisiana and uh, moved to Florida uh, as a teenager. From there, I went away to college, uh, first to Baltimore and then to New Jersey. From New Jersey, after I graduated college, I moved to Philadelphia and then um, to Athens, art slash commerce, and I've lived here ever since. You lived in New Jersey? Yes, Trenton. Oh, okay, so that was after school. Well, that's close to Philly, I guess, right? Cool. Yeah, and uh, right across the river from New Hope, I went to Trenton State College. It was then, I think it's a college in New Jersey now. Yes, yes, they, um, they've they taken on the, the New Jersey moniker. Yes. Cool. Oh, so you're all over the place. and, and uh... New Jersey's where I saw Paul Stanley at the City Gardens in his Club Tour 1986, one of the greatest rock shows ever. Nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seeing. Well, and uh, and Gene Simmons has been kind of popping on stage with people lately, too. Yeah, apparently he's being really nice for some reason. I saw a clip of him hanging out with the Melvins and playing Going Blind with them, and he seems like a really normal, nice dude all of a sudden. I don't know what happened. Stevie says Ace got up and jammed with him on his solo tour. That's nice nice encouraging thing to hear that really is encouraging well maybe yeah, yeah that's you know <laughs> you one could one could only hope um boy i'll tell you what um don't ever read any of the members of kisses books about themselves it totally destroys your enjoyment of the band for the rest of your life i mean i really had to struggle to get back to where i could listen to my old records and not just think about what a jerk Ace Fraley was, and you know what a prima donna Gene Simmons was, and I don't know. Paul's pretty cool. What about Peter? Did you read Peter's book? No, but I understand he's just a really whiny, no talent, drug addict sort. <laughs> I was going to say crybaby, but I, that sort of that, 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 that sums yeah. it up pretty well. <laughs> oh, we have come nearly to the end of the show and what i want to just um emphasize again is your patreon do you call it your patreon site what do you what term do you use to i call it the patreon page i guess okay. uh-huh. and uh, anyone can go to patreon.com and search my name creston um, and it'll pop up and it's a pretty simple process of signing up getting a account there and uh you pay um, 3 or $5 a month, and we send you all the music that we make. And you are uh, partnering, again, of course, with Stephen Tanner, and these are the songs that you, the two of you work on together are Harvey Milk songs. Correct. And um, we'll be, um, hopefully, um, as this progresses and grows, we'll get the infrastructure for doing uh, videos and other things as well. Oh, um, interesting. Cause so I, it, that's a great thing about Patreon. Is that's not just a music uh, sharing site. It's also you can put up videos and photos and other things. Um, so we were thinking that 
once we started playing with Thor, um, hopefully um, we'll be able to do like a little video diary and put it up for our patrons. I'm sure they would enjoy something like that. Oh, yeah. Just stop in and see what you guys have been doing. That's, that's, it's really, yeah. I, I love the idea. And now that I see it in practice, it makes such sense. And it's, it's beautiful. I really, I, I do love that. Um, and folks, if you are on the playlist, I do have the link to um, Creston's Patreon page up on the WFMU playlist. And uh, yeah, it, it just makes a lot of sense. Do you think that um, the concept album sort of dies then if this becomes the vehicle of, of musicians? Um, I'm sorry, repeat the question. Is it about concept albums, or do I miss here? Yeah, I'm just, I, I'm just, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, but it's kind of like, it seems as if, so, so the, the cycle of a record, right, is like, oh, you, you, you record, you record an album, it's got a release date, you go through media, then it, you know, you tour. Um, and now it's like, like, you can just put a riff up on Patreon, right? You don't even have to have a completed song, and you can just go through so much of the process... And then when I think of like the most bombastic thing in music in the old paradigm is kind of like a concept album, right? Or, right. You know, kind of. Well, it's a, it's a different process for sure. Because like you say, if you're a working band, then what you do is you make a record, you put the record out, you go on tour. And then when you're on tour, you write another record and then you go home and repeat. Um, with us, it's different. Um, we can put up things that are not quite finished and continue to work on them. And for some fans, that might be interesting in and of itself. I mean, if you download from our page every day, what you'll end up with is an evolution of each one of these songs. And uh, we can go back and... With a record, it's always... There's a lot of pressure. Because you're usually paying a lot of money to do it. And you have to do it in a certain amount of time. And once you're done, you're done, and it's going to be that way forever. And uh, none of those things apply to us. Um, we do it in our own time. Uh, the, cap the investment necessary was minimal, and we can go back and change our products at any time. They're living documents, so to speak. Hmm. So um, there's good things and bad things about that, but I think the good outweigh the bad in all. Well, so maybe you will put out a concept album through Patreon at, at some point. And you did say that you also toy with the idea of putting out actual releases. Maybe, I don't know if you meant at the end of the year or whatever, but to sort of collect what's been out on Patreon. I would like to be able to do that because I think it'd be something nice for our patrons to have like a souvenir mm -hmm. of their investment in the band. Also, uh, it would give us something to sell when we go on the road. You know, what, that's an important part of a band's income when they're on the road is selling their product. Yes. And uh, so it would benefit us as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, you know, I've learned so much about, about this. I just love, I, I, I kind of feel like, oh, I got kind of go on the site and, and just and really poke around. And, and I would invite listeners to... Um, to look as well and of course to support you you've been a wonderful guest this has been such such fun um, uh, thank you it's been a lot of fun for me uh, thank you again for having me on yeah and, and I can't wait to hear what else you put together I know you've you said you've got some new equipment and stuff and 
I'm glad to hear that you and Steven are playing together because Harvey Milk is just so unique and intriguing that I think it's your combination that's really, really pretty beautiful. But I, I love how this is being shared and your musical scope is just incredible. Like I, I'm today, I was just like fascinated, you know. And thanks, Stevie, please, because when when Creston and I had been originally corresponding about the interview, he, I think at first you did just say, oh, I'll probably just do an interview, not the guest DJ thing. But that's actually that that the DJ thing I think brought out a lot of your personality in some really interesting ways. And and who knew that you could write music for hair dryer or sledgehammer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who knew? Uh, awesome. I'm well, sure you could write music for car crashes, but you know you'd only get to perform it once. <laughs> have you have you said that before? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Creston Spires, thank you so much. And thank um, you. I'm really excited to have, have you to have had you on the show. Be sure and enjoy the rest of your day. And uh and maybe we'll keep you keep uh, maybe we'll have you on again if you come up and you get the orchestra thing going in New York. I would love that. And uh you would uh really enjoy um uh, having Stevie on as uh, your guest DJ because uh, he could really pull out some deep tracks, of, uh, some hard rock that would uh, your listeners would love. I bet. I I might ask him not to play the Eagles though. Uh yeah, that's fair. <laughs> awesome. All right then. Take care. Thank you. You too. Okay. Bye bye. And that concludes another podcast episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. More on the way. Thanks to Lizberg for handling the in-house podcast duties here at WFMU. I am Diane Kamikaze. Check my Twitter and my Instagram. Handle is one word, Diane Kamikaze. Kamikaze ends with an E. On Facebook, you can find me as Diane Kamikaze, Farris, Rocker for Life and Making a Difference. Yes, my Facebook page has 10 words in it. My regular show is on Thursdays from noon to 3 p.m. for an expanded version with lots and lots of music, wisecracks, and fun stuff. The full link to my uh, index of shows and podcasts is can be found on wfmu.org slash playlists slash dk. Those are, that's a capital D and a capital K. I'm going to be working on encore presentations, and I've got years of old interviews and podcasts. So if there's something that you'd like to see reposted that you missed, please get in touch. Send me email, diane at wfmu.org, and be sure to subscribe to the show. And if you like it, please rate it and review it. Wow. WFMU. Peer pressure. Thank you. See you next time.